0: Yet again, because you think about this historically, guys, it's actually a little bit crazy how good South Carolina has been coming off of the bye week. Fifteen and two off of a bye since two thousand and nine, and under Shane Beamer, guys, the Gamecocks are two and zero, including one of those wins coming over the Florida Gators back in two thousand twenty one, a forty to seventeen win at williams Bryce Stadium. Of course, that was Dan Mullins' Gators. Shane Beamer and Billy Napier have only met once. That was last year, the Swamp Gators winning that game 38-6. to But South Carolina, when they've had extra time to prepare, and you can take this as far as even bowl games as well, when the Gamecocks have extra time to get ready, when they have extra time to prepare, they seem to play their best football. And I think that brings us, guys, to the question of, you know, I'm really curious and intrigued to see, Just what progress has been made over the bye week? Like, what strides have been taken across the football field? Because it's not just a schematics issue. It's a personnel issue. And it's a, you know, just top to bottom, South Carolina playing better. I think there were many facets of the game we could look at and say, this needs to be cleaned up. That needs to be better. What strides, what positive strides, have you taken as a football team? Because, again, this is typically, guys, we've seen this in each of Shane Beamer's first two seasons. We've seen it for many years when it comes to Gamecocks football. This sort of feels like the point where South Carolina gets going, where South Carolina kicks it in a gear, like I mentioned, especially under Shane Beamer. That doesn't mean it's always been perfect after the bye week, but – this is typically where I feel like we see Carolina, you know, make the necessary adjustments to play their best football. And there will be no excuse, right, for South Carolina not playing their best football. You've had 10 days or so to get ready for your opponent. You're able to go back and self scout and self evaluate and look and say, okay, what are the things over the first five weeks that we did well? What are things over the first five weeks? we did not do well and that we need to correct. A lot of what happens over the bye week is going back to the fundamentals, guys. Because a lot of it is, you know, our friend Jake Crane loves to say, teams lose football games more than teams win football games. And so a lot of it comes down to Carolina shooting themselves in the foot, bad fundamentals, making mental mistakes. And so it's going back over a bye week and correcting those things. And again, they've been able to do that at a really effective clip especially under Shane Beamer. So is it more of the same from Gamecocks football? And do we realize coming out of the bye week, okay, these are deep-rooted issues that aren't going to go away anytime soon? Or do we see South Carolina make strides and and look like a much-improved football team? For example, on the offensive line, the defensive line, things cleaned up in the secondary, schematical issues, again, personnel issues, and figuring out, okay, we use this player in this spot, or we're going to put this youngster in this spot. It's going to be very, very interesting to see. And guys, you'd also think too.
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
0: Coming off of a bye week with extra time, you've had time to scout your opponent. Do not be surprised if we see South Carolina with some extra wrinkles in the game plan that we have not seen before because of, simply put, having that extra time to dissect the opponent and look at different ways of how you can trick them, how you can get them off their game, and how you can beat them. Now, guys, you might recall going back to the summer. I gave this game specifically against Florida the most important game of 2023 tag. And my question is this, does that tag still apply? And in short, I think it does, guys. I think it does. And let me say this. I, I know it gets exhausting because it feels like every week we're talking about the importance of the game and just how big of a game this is. I mean, guys, spoiler, newsflash, when we get to this time next week, we're going to be talking about the Missouri game and the Missouri streak and how important that game is. They're important on a weekend, week out basis. But the reason I labeled this the most important game of South Carolina's 2023 season was this. I had the Gamecocks at 2-3 and three going into the bye week. Granted, I had them beating North Carolina and losing to Mississippi State in an upset. You flip those two results, but you get the same output at 2-3. and three. I stand by what I said over the summer that this stands as the most important game of the 2023 season in the sense of if you are going to have an opportunity to get to seven or maybe even eight wins and match last year's win total, this is a swing game at home that I think you have to have. I don't think there's a path for South Carolina getting to seven or eight wins if you don't win this football game. Now, hey, listen, I've been wrong before. We could be totally wrong. And South Carolina, you know, wins six of their last seven or something crazy like that and ends up finishing with with seven wins despite losing this football game. But I don't see that happening. And especially when you think about the fact that, you know, Florida's a team, they have their issues. They have their deficiencies. They have not been great on the road, which we'll talk about more later in the show I stand by what I said over the summer. This game to me is the difference between five and seven, and seven and five for Gamecocks football in 2023. I think it's that big of a game for South Carolina because you look at what you have upcoming at Missouri, who you've lost two four in a row, at Texas A&M, a place at Kyle Field that you've never won before, and then you have the. Four game home stretch with Jacksonville State, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Clemson. But you look at this game against Florida, I think there's that much emphasis on it. I think this game is the difference between bowl eligibility and not in 2023. And maybe seven wins isn't quite where everyone wanted this season to be, but seven and five is a whole hell of a lot better than five and seven. I think this game against Florida, the result of this one, it's the difference between a five and seven or seven and five season in year three of Shane Beamer. Now, as we look at this ball game, guys, on the field, starting offensively, I think one of the big storylines is this one is Spencer Rattler and Xavier Legat looking to get back on track offensively because of course, guys, The bitter taste in our mouth comes from the last appearance we saw by Gamecocks football on the field, which was at Neyland Stadium in Knoxville. And Spencer Rattler and Xavier Leggett, I mean, that was as mortal as we've seen Spencer Rattler look to this point in the season. I thought Tennessee's defense did a really, really good job of taking Xavier Leggett out of the Gamecocks' offensive attack, taking him away, and... Carolina had no answer, especially when they fell down early. Carolina was in obvious passing situations, and then the sack party started for the Ball's front seven. Do we see that dynamic duo get back on track? Right? Do we see Spencer Rattler, Xavier Leggett, get back to the form that we saw against Mississippi State earlier in the season, all throughout the season when Xavier Leggett, you know, was all world, everything, and leading all of college football in receiving yards. Now, Florida's been good defensively in the secondary, but you look, they're actually one of the worst in the SEC in yards per play allowed in the passing game. So this should be a good opportunity for Spencer Rattler and Xavier Leggett to get going. And I think we all agree, guys, if that dynamic duo, if that, if that quarterback-wide receiver tandem is not able to get in a flow and get in a rhythm, it's going to be really tough for South Carolina offensively to get anything going. I think you need to see those guys return to the form that we saw in the first couple of games. Xavier really Leggett have one of those, 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 those hundred-yard, hundred-plus-yard receiving games we saw over the first couple of weeks. And of course, I don't see a scenario in which South Carolina wins this football game if Spencer Rattler doesn't play well, right? That goes without saying when you think about the deficiencies of the football team and how important QB1 is to this football team. So Spencer Rattler. Xavier Leggett, how much does Florida try to take from what Tennessee did and implement that in their game plan? And what does South Carolina do to counteract it? Because you got to get 17 going, right? I know you got question marks outside of him. It sounds very, very unlikely that Juice Wells is going to see the field this weekend. So it's going to be all on 17. And you need other guys, right? Like a Marion Brown and Eddie Lewis and Omega Blake and maybe a Tyshawn Russell, maybe a Nick or maybe a Luke Doty on the outside of your tight ends, what have you to step up. But you need to get 17 going early and often because this offense clicks at a level they just do not operate at when 17 is involved and involved in a big way in the offensive attack. Now, continuing, guys, of the offense, a a quote that made waves this week was yesterday when Dabble Loggins went on record talking about Juju McDabble in the third and short at Tennessee, which I don't think I have to explain any further. I'm sure you guys know exactly what play I'm talking about. He mentioned why Juju McDabble was in the football game and and Montario Hardesty's handling of the running back room. And, of course, as expected, it sent Gamecock social media into somewhat of a tizzy, right? Folks were not exactly thrilled with the way that that was handled. Now, I'm not a football coach, right? I'm not a running backs coach, certainly, but it feels pretty obvious to me and to many of you out there who RB1 is and who should be getting the bulk of the carries, right? But you never know. I, I, I Unfortunately, I don't think it's as no-brainer or no-duh or as obvious to the coaching staff, or at least to Monterio Hardesty, as it is to many of us. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to oversimplify things because I know there's things that go into th- going to work, tempo and game planning and whatever you got to do, right? Spelling your running back, what have you. But what does it look like this week, the handling of the running back room? Because I think it's very obvious. Like, if you're going to have any semblance of balance, if you're going to have any semblance of a rushing game against a stout Florida defense, I think it's got to come with 24 in the backfield. I think it's got to come with Mario Anderson getting the bulk of the carries. If you've got a third and short, if you've got a fourth and short, nobody other than 24 should be getting the football. That feels very simple. That feels very no brainer. But sometimes these coaches can outsmart themselves, can overthink situations. And I think the way that Ontario Hardesty handles the running back room, it's become one of those things that you have to keep an eye on from a week in to week out basis. Because what seems so obvious to many of us isn't quite that obvious to Montario Hardesty. So what does that look like this week? Was South Carolina able to learn from the way they handled personnel in Knoxville, especially at the running back position, correct those things, clean those things up, and not make those errors in this football game against Florida? The Spurs Up show is brought to you by our friends over at Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience Your first purchase. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. Guys, I mentioned the tight ends a little bit earlier. Is this the week we see the tight ends get much more involved? I know that Trey Knox, obviously, I thought he had a really good game at Tennessee, especially late in that ball game. Maybe some of it was in garbage time, but either way, racked up six or seven catches in that football game. And I think you're starting to see Trey Knox sort of emerge as – you know, one of the go to weapons for Spencer Rattler, Dabble Loggins, this South Carolina offense. Do we get more Joshua Simon, though? Right? This is a guy that we heard about all offseason long about the, you know, the, the scoring threat he could be or the big play threat. This is a guy that had seven touchdowns last year at Western Kentucky, hasn't really been a part of the offensive attack to this point. Do we see more of the tight ends getting involved this week? Do we see more? of the tight ends on third downs and being that safety valve for Spencer Rattler. And if, if Florida's selling out to take Xavier Getaway, do we see Spencer Rattler target the Trey Knoxes and the Joshua Simons of the world and, and get those guys more involved to keep moving the sticks? They're going to be big, I think, in the offensive attack, guys. Sticking with or really moving both sides of the ball here as we continue with our top storylines. We've mentioned the bye week a lot. And my question is this. Did the line of scrimmage take a step forward over the bye week, right? That, that's, you know, that that's the thing. We could beat it at horse, guys. We could spend the entire show just talking about line of scrimmage because that is the key, right, for South Carolina. Week in, week out, run the ball, stop the run. It's the key for every football team. But when you think about the Gamecocks, and we'll start offensively, in the offensive line, you've got some young talent that you were inserting in that offensive line right now, right? Big Truba Baladeh. Trovon Bow, Jatavia Shivers, and the bye week can really serve. It can be really beneficial for guys like that, right? It can be really beneficial for these young offensive linemen. They've been drinking water out of fire hose. They've been baptism by fire to this point in the season. Just a chance to slow down and self-evaluate and say, okay, here's what you've done well. Here's what you need to correct. Here's what you need to clean up. Because these guys have the talent, right, guys? There's no way they'd be starting in Knoxville if they didn't have the talent to be out there. But it's asking a lot of a youngster. It's asking a lot of a true freshman to go out there, play every single snap against an SEC front when they were just in high school a couple of months ago. The return of Ja'Kai Moore should be a big boost for South Carolina, right? He returns from injury, excuse me, from injury. And then on the defensive front, is it more of a talent issue or a scheme issue? Because we saw South Carolina against Mississippi State stop the run and stymie Woody Marks, one of the best running backs in the SEC, only to follow that up a week later by surrendering over 230 rushing yards to Tennessee. So, is this defensive front, you know, able to take strides as well with Tonka Hemingway and Boogie Huntley and Elijah Davis and uh, you know TJ Sanders? They need him to be healthy and Nick Barrett and other guys. We feel as if, for a lot of this season, this defensive front has not played up to their potential. But especially on the offensive line, right, we we, we talk about, I mean, really both, guys, really both. We talk about the sack numbers on offense and rushing defense, which the rushing defense has been much better. But this should be the week I think we see both of these groups, if they're going to do so, take major steps for it take major steps for because you've had an opportunity to sit back and watch film and say, okay, this is what we got to get right. This is what we got to get fixed. I don't know if these groups are going to take major steps. They, they may not. They may just be who they are, but if it's going to happen, it's going to be this week coming off the bye week. Guys, switching sides of the football, going to the defensive side for South. Carolina. another big storyline in this one. We talked a lot about over the bye week, identity, defensive identity. Has South Carolina found one? And specifically, guys, what is the game plan against Florida? Because again, a lot of times, the very obvious to us is not obvious to this coaching staff or to whoever it might be. And again... I'm not trying to oversimplify things. I'm not a football coach. I'm not getting paid a million dollars to call plays or what have you. But when you look at the last couple of games, South Carolina went ultra-aggressive in stopping the run against Mississippi State. And it worked. Granted, Will Rogers beat you over the top. We get that. The following week, you face an opponent. Similar to Mississippi State in the sense of loves to run the football. Had a less proven quarterback. And instead of sticking with that game plan of we're going to sell on the run, make Joe Milton beat us, you sat back. You let Tennessee win with short passing game. You let Tennessee run the football. And they ran it down your throat. You've had to buy a bye week to learn. You've had to buy a bye week to make adjustments. What adjustments are made? Because I tell you guys this. It will be inexcusable if South Carolina comes out of this bye week and plays soft and plays off and just allows Florida to dictate the tempo of this football game. That's how you're going to get beat, guys. That's how you're going to get beat. If Florida's able to rattle off four to five yards of carry, they let Graham Mertz get in the flow with the dink and dunk in the short passing game because that's what they want to do. Look at his numbers. The completion percentage is extremely high because he loves the short passing game. That's what he l- makes a living with is the short passing game. The only way Florida wins this game is if it's a 20-17, to 23-20 to 20 low-scoring ball game. I'm not saying South Carolina can't win that type of game, but... If you're able to get Florida off the field, three and out, make quick stops, get the football back in the hands of Spence Radler, and guys, you score 30 points, Florida does not have a chance to outscore you. So, is it a much improved game plan from Clayton White in this South Carolina defense? Because I've been very critical of the defense at this point in the season. I was critical of the defense over the summer. I felt like the defense might take a step back. But even I have to admit, this defense has been playing below what it's capable of. There's no question. And I think a lot of it is schematically. Is Clayton White able to put this defense in the best possible position to be successful? Is Clayton White willing to gamble? Is Clayton White willing to take some chances? Is Clayton White willing to be aggressive? And force the issue and at least slow down the Florida rushing attack and make Graham Mertz win this game over the top. Make Graham Mertz do something he hasn't done a ton this season. Or is it more of the same from the Game Gamecocks defense? And if it is, again, it'll be more inexcusable than any result this season. And I think it'll very clearly lay out what must be done more than likely at season's end. Guys, sticking with the defense, I think this is an opportunity for the secondary to return to form. You know, we talk about Florida. It's all about stopping the run. I I, I do think South Carolina's secondary. They've taken a beating, right, from yours truly on social media, from from talking heads, from pundits, from fans, what have you. And some of it is very fair. Listen, the the secondary has not played great. I don't care what offenses you're playing. They have not played good football at times. But at the same time, give credit where credit's due in the sense of the schedule taking on quarterbacks like Drake May at North Carolina, Carson Beck at Georgia, Will Rogers at Mississippi State, Joe Milton at Tennessee. I don't know if anybody has played a slate of quarterbacks like South Carolina has. If you look at Florida's schedule, their yards per game numbers are really good. But even Gator folks will tell you, they have not faced a quarterback like Spencer Rattler this season. I think this is a great opportunity. You know, South Carolina Secondary has just been hearing it for weeks and weeks about how bad they are. And I think there's still some good players in that secondary. Nick Emanwari, DQ Smith, Marcellus Dial, O'Donnell Fortune, hopefully David Spalding's good to go, Keenan Nelson Jr., who I think still has lots of talent, amongst a host of others as well. There's too much talent in this secondary for them to continue playing the way they've played, I'll be curious to see, do they somewhat take it personal this week and have more so a vintage performance in the secondary like we're so used to seeing from Torian Gray's unit? Guys, when you look at this game as a whole, you know, I, I was asked earlier this week about what's my key to the game, key to victory for South Carolina, and we talk about keys of the game, right? And I wanted to go against the grain, but I feel like in games like this, you know, we can talk offensive line, defensive line, Spencer Rattler. Like, those are very obvious things, right? But even when those things are going well, and I feel like when things have gone well under Shane Beamer, it's because South Carolina is able to win in unconventional ways, make big plays and scoring plays even an unconventional Facets of the game, that being defense and special teams. I think that's really important in this one, guys. I, I really do. In a coin flip type of game, right? In a coin flip type of game, especially if you can make that type of play early. If you can make that type of play early, right? I think South Carolina should be able to. Take advantage of a fragile Florida football team and a fragile Florida program where they're expecting the worst when it comes to on the road and you know the way they've performed so special teams defense winning in unconventional ways when South Carolina has been at their best they've been able to win in those types of ways they, they've they've won games they've performed well in the defensive and special teams' facets and been very opportunistic when doing so. And finally, guys, I just mentioned it. A big storyline in this one is Florida's road game woes. They've been abysmal on the road under billion Napier. Just one win on the road. And again, you talk to Florida folks, guys. They've gotten off to horrific starts on the road, and they've played poorly start to finish. I mean, you look back at that Kentucky game just a couple of weeks ago, guys, they got punched in the mouth early and Kentucky ran away with that thing. Kentucky ran away with it, right? Is South Carolina able to capture that williams Bryce Stadium magic? I know we'd all prefer this game to be a night game at williams Bryce Stadium, but I think getting off to a quick start And making Florida, not just their fans, but their team, their program, feel like, here we go again. This is another SEC road contest where we come out flat, we come out sloppy, we get dominated, and we have no chance. It goes without saying, the longer you let Florida hang around, the more chance they think they have in this football game. But I think you utilize that, you use that against the Gators. Use that to your advantage, right? And South Carolina loves playing at Williams-Brice Stadium you've had an extra week to prepare, you're on your home field, and you're taking on a Florida team that along with all the deficiencies they have, they've been abysmal in road games under Billy Napier. Use that to your advantage and use that to secure victory on Saturday afternoon.